My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to be a part of this community. So um, we are in the book of Acts. We have been traversing some incredible passages, some of the most famous passages in Scripture. And this morning, we're coming to one of those that uh, there's a couple of community groups that are uh, studying the week in advance. So they're like doing Acts, the passage that we're about to do. And they're like, oh, we can't wait to see what you do with this one. So if you're not those people, just know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. This morning is Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 511. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, I got a couple elders. We'll grab them. Just raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible so you can be following along as, uh, as we step into this. But uh, hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet." And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she says, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Crazy stuff happening in the book of Acts. It seems like way over there. If you grew up in the church and maybe you went to Sunday school and you heard about Ananias and Sapphira and they're kind of like tantamount to like Jezebel a little bit, um, this can feel like a story. It can feel like that thing that happened way over there. But 
I want you, and I, and I know sometimes preachers try to do this, but we're going to do this really fun this morning. Uh, I want you to just imagine that, let's say it was today, and two weeks ago, I stood up here and informed you, hey, you wouldn't believe this, but it looks like we're not going to have a home soon, and we're going to have to find somewhere because the school won't, doesn't want us here in a sense. We're not able to be here anymore, and so we're going to have to go find a place and so we're, we're in the midst of that, and we're, we're in the process of negotiating a contract with a new space. But this is exciting, except the reality is we're also going to have to raise a whole bunch of money. Oh, and by the way, we have people in the body that are having struggle paying some medical bills, and some people that they need a car to get to and from work. And we got a, four people that are heading to Ghana to encourage the church and, and to be a part of the movement of God there. And, and so all these needs and all these things are out there. And so that was two weeks ago. And then and last week, last week, Something awesome happens. Bart, this will be Bart. Bart Navis, last name Navis. Um, Bart Navis, um, at the beginning of the service, he comes up to the elders and he says, I sold my lake house this past week. Hearing what's going on, I sold my lake house, which is what, by the way, Coach Mark Rick did from Georgia when he read the hole in the gospel of the book. Sold his lake house. It was like, apparently... This is not consistent. So, Souls Lake House, another sermon um, about Mark Richt, right? Um, and and so, so, so Bart Nabbas comes, he talks to us, and so we receive this gift from, from Bart, and, and, uh, and I, we start sharing it with you. You wouldn't believe this is what happened this last week. God's, God's providing. And so we all rejoice. We celebrate, and we say, boy, God's on the move. The ripple of community and joy, like the, the needs are being un, be, uh, beginning, to, beginning to be met by God through people. This is, this is incredible how exciting. God's on the move. And then this week, as Michael's right in the middle of his announcements, Nias, our friend, says, can I have the mic for just a minute? And Nias says, well, I also, this last week, sold my company. And I have brought the proceeds to give to all the needs that are represented here in this body. And there's, you know, you know there's some clapping kind of starts, some murmurs, some oohs and ahs. And, and just as, as Nias starts heading back towards his seat, Will, one of our elders, stands up and says, Nias, why have you conspired to lie to the Holy Spirit? And Nias, on his way back to his seat, falls to the ground dead. And of course, we choose the young men to go and take Nias out to the side. We... <laughs> it's young men. I don't know why they carry the dead, but the, so young men carry Nias out to there, and, the, and an ambulance comes up, and, and, and no sirens, just, just takes Nias off, and Nias' wife, towards the end of the service, who was serving in kids, um, who actually is serving in kids, ironically, <laughs> that just happened to be, um, she comes to the back, and, and, and Jay, one of our elder elders, meets her and says, Saf, our... Is it true that, 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 that Nias actually sold his company for th this much? And she's like, oh, yeah, it was exactly that, that amount. And he says, why have you conspired to sin against God? And she drops dead. And, and the young men, right in the middle of the benediction, and, and, and the young men have to go back and take her body out. Uh, it's funny to imagine. But seriously, imagine. Imagine if, not Nias, but Charlie dropped dead right there. What would happen? What? Can you imagine how that just might perhaps affect a little bit of how we, I don't know, sing our worship songs? <laughs> or it might just affect how many of you come back next week, you know? I don't, <laughs> it's not a growth strategy, probably. Um, but imagine, because 
because it actually happened to this brand new church that was, that was being born out of the gospel in the middle of this crazy time, God's redemptive work. It happened in their midst. Just imagine. How would it affect how you see and handle your stuff? How would it affect how, how you take communion? The backdrop of this shocking event that takes place in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira is this picture of a thriving community. There is, the scripture says in verse 33, there is great power. People are being filled with the spirit and, and, and there's not only this incredible teaching that's coming forth, but there's also these miracles and there's just this incredible energy being manifested in the church, not just great power, but also great grace. And it's manifesting itself primarily in people, not only just worshiping, not only being incredibly united together, but they're just selling their stuff and they're giving it to whoever might have need so that, that there's no one who says, I need something and there's not something for them. Great power and great grace to where Luke says they had everything in common. Now, last week, Steve walked us through the, the, the beginning of the movement of opposition taking place against this message, against this good news of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. There's, there's the beginning of this opposition pushing in from the outside, but what, what transitions this week is actually not a pressure or trouble from the outside, but, but from the inside. A new trial, a new struggle. So this morning, as we look at this passage... Through these verses, we're going to see three things. And because Steve put his stuff up on the screen last week, I have to put my stuff up on the screen this week. So the first thing we're going to see this week is this. We're going to see that we have a God who always sees our heart. A God who always sees our heart. That we have a God whose judgment is always just. A God whose judgment is always just. And thirdly, we have a God whose grace always gives us away home. So first, we have a God who always sees our heart. This passage is pretty clear in declaring that there were some things hidden in them that God could see. Now, let me just ask the question real quick. What was Ananias and Sapphira's sin? What, what did they do that was, that was so terrible? There, there was clearly nothing wrong in them giving just a portion of their property. There couldn't be because Peter makes it very clear. Listen, like when you had possession of it, when, when you had the money in hand, you could do whatever you want with it, which includes, well, you can have this percentage. You can have this amount. It was yours to decide upon. So it can't be, it can't be that issue. It can't be something that's, well, they had to give the total value of the field. Otherwise, it's not really a gift. It's not that. And it's clearly not a declaration of some kind of Christian socialism, that nothing should belong to anybody and you know, it should only belong to a church or the government. Or No, it's, it's not that. The portion of it would have been just fine. The problem with what they did was not that they were stingy, which honestly is what I grew up thinking. I just thought they just weren't as generous as they should have been. No, it's not that they were stingy. The problem is that they were misrepresenting their generosity. The problem wasn't greed. The problem was deception. You lied, Peter says. 
And by the way, not just to man, though they did lie to man technically. No, no, you lied to God. George MacDonald wrote, half of the misery of the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. Half, maybe more, of the misery of the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. And you can maybe imagine how this, this would have happened. Maybe it started innocently enough. You know, they, they saw Barnabas and a few others that had brought forward their gifts, and they're like, you know what, we've been talking about selling that, that piece of property over there, and let's just do it. Let's do it. Let's sell it. And so they sell it, and then, and then they get, I don't know, $100,000 for it. So they, get, they, have this, they have this money, and so they're like, that's a lot of money. I didn't realize what it would feel like in $1 bills. You know, it's a, it's a lot, it's a case full. And so maybe you start innocently enough suddenly saying, you know what? What if we, what if we just, what if we gave just 40 grand? Nope. 50. We'll give, we'll give half of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? That is incredibly generous, right? Yeah, but you know, like everyone's bringing and doing the whole thing. You know, they're like, they're, they're actually, it's the full value. And so... What if we just, what if we just appear to have been the full value? I mean, let's, okay, they're apostles. They, they work for the church. They're not real estate agents. They're, they're probably bad at math, you know? So they won't know the difference. We can just, we can just bring this, this, this thing and they'll be like, yeah, it was 50 grand. Yeah, you know, recession. Go figure. So maybe it started innocently enough, but Barnabas got something they wanted. Hypocrisy is deliberate deception. It's trying to make people think that you're more spiritual or more anything than you actually really are. So Ananias and Sapphira, they misrepresented themselves, but why? Why did they misrepresent themselves? They wanted credit for being for, they wanted credit for looking generous without being generous. They wanted to appear sacrificial to the community without actually sacrificing. They wanted honor for being givers without actually being givers. In a very real way, they gave not to glorify God, but they gave to glorify themselves. Not to benefit others, but to benefit themselves. There was something they were pursuing. There was a, an opportunity that money could buy them, and that would be respect or, or a reputation. In essence, all the way at the bottom, Ananias and Sapphira sold their field to buy something for themselves. Not to give themselves away to God and for others. They, they sold it to buy something, and they got caught. In Barnabas, we see someone who, as it appears from some of the elements of the community, is filled with the Spirit, and he is moved by the grace of God on his behalf. You know that's the motivation for generosity, right? Moved by the grace of God. That's, that's, that's the motivation. That's all the energy. It can't be any of this other nonsense. So he's moved by the grace of God on his behalf, but Ananias and Sapphira don't understand grace. They're, they're trying to add something to it. 
What, what they're saying by, by holding something back but trying to pretend to be spiritual is that they're missing something. They need, they need a little bit more than Jesus. They need Jesus plus something. They need, they need a, a little addition to what Christ has done for them by, through his life and death and resurrection. They need, they need something more. And it's that duplicity, that, that double-mindedness, that Jesus and, that Jesus plus something it's the poison, and it's the poison that draws out the judgment of God. Because they hadn't just lied to the community, they had lied to the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that there was already an internal brokenness going on in them. Integrity, the actual word integrity, means, it means whole, right? Math majors, right? Integer. Um, it's whole. It's, it's a whole thing. So no, no, no decimals on an integer. Um, but it, what it means is more than just being honest, it means to have internal wholeness and, and coherence. It means that everything matches. It means congruity between your in interior world and your external world. It means the outside matches the inside, and the inside matches the outside. It means that, that your Monday through Friday person is the same as the Sunday person. It means that your out-of-townness is identical to your in-townness. It means the way you are with your children at the store is the same as you are in your home. It means you match. It means it fits. There's congruity, consistency. And Ice and Sapphire are missing the fact that it is by grace that they are something. And so they're trying to buy some kind of spiritual, communal spiritual superiority, trying to get from someone a sense of peace instead of having received peace. And, and what's so interesting is that the, the chilling visual of these two people falling to the ground is just an external picture of what had already taken place internally. They were disintegrating as people, right? They were disconnected. They, what they were saying they were and who they actually were didn't fit. It didn't belong. And so they're falling apart inside. And so what disintegrates in their body is just a manifestation of the disintegration that was already taking place in their soul, their inward being. They needed to be somebody instead of resting on the fact that they already were somebody because of Christ. And therefore, the contrast between Ananias and Sapphira and Barnabas isn't a contrast between uh, someone who's a little bit greedy and someone who gives all the proceeds. No, it's a contrast between someone whose interior world is integrated and, and someone whose interior world is broken apart, is double-minded, is disintegrating and splitting out and spilling out all around them. What this tells us is that you, you might be able to fool your community or your coworkers or your neighbors. You might even be able to fool your friends. You might even be able to fool your spouse, your parents, but you can never fool God. He always sees what's really going on in you. He knows how much congruity or incongruity exists, and you cannot lie to him. 
I mean, you can lie to him, but he already knows the truth. We have a God who always sees our hearts. And Psalm 51, which if you know, is the psalm where David, after, after committing adultery, is pouring out his heart to God in repentance. So this is that psalm, right? King David says, you, God, delight in truth in the inward being. What that means is like God smiles when it's together, when who we are on the inside is, is real with who we're manifesting on the inside, that there's truth inside inside our being? Is there truth inside your being? Are you, are you congruent? Is what we see the reality of what's really going on? Are you, are you being truthful with God in, in confession? Are you, are you being repentant with the people around you? Are you withholding from God in your community the reality of the difference, what isn't true and then what is in fact really true? And, and, and by the way, what a gift. We're in Lent season. The part of the gift of Lent is that you, you go, God, the stuff not match. Are there things in areas that I'm not even seeing maybe that, that just don't belong together, that don't, they're just incongruent, that I talk like this, but really I don't live this or I don't know this. Let me say this. You don't get spiritual brownie points for looking spiritual. If you're a mess, the good news is we have a savior who puts messes back together over time. It's true. So that's the good news. Let us, let us match. Let us not pretend. I, a good friend of mine said, God can never meet you where you actually aren't. So your false spiritual person can never be met by God. Isn't that tragic? I don't know if some of you guys are praying, but like your pretend person is praying and turns out God doesn't want to deal with that person. He has, he has no way of interacting and changing that person's heart because that's not you. It's not you. You must be changed. Your real you is the only you that can be changed. Are you integrated? God sees the real you. And God's invitation is always simple. It's, it's repent. Repent today. If it doesn't match, like start talking about it with him, which would be like, yeah, no, I'm aware. And then, and then and talk about the other people around you, which some of them I go, yeah, I'm actually aware too. Begin, begin to invite people and say, I, I, want, I, want, I want it to match. I want congruity. I want not to be disintegrated, but to be integrated. Soul, body, mind, spirit. All right. We have a God who always sees our hearts. And we have a God whose judgment is always just. I've actually worked myself up out of breath a little. I'm not sure what that means. <clears throat> it's not a heart attack, though, just so we're clear. <laughs> Good grief. That's not the application of the sermon. Okay. We have a God who judges. Sorry, we have a God whose judgment is always just. What we see in um, Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead is, is a sobering picture of the judgment of God. It's a vivid illustration of what the disintegration of sin really looks like physically. It's death. And you, you cannot look at this scripture, at this passage, and not come to the conclusion that Ananias and Sapphira brought upon themselves a, themselves a just judgment. They received a just judgment. And, and that may affect you in one of two probable ways. One is, I'm sorry, that's just not fair. 
That, that may be the natural reaction for you. It's like, I, I'm sorry, this is not fair. I don't like this. I, this is harsh. I, if this is if this is Christianity, I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm not into that harsh harsh stuff. Or you're in the other direction, and you're like, that's right. Got what they deserved. And by the way, the rest of y'all should probably take notes about what happens when you don't obey God. That's the that's the other direction. So let me let me talk to the second person first. First Corinthians ten twelve. We'll actually let Paul do the work. He says, therefore. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Man, that is not a messing around kind of verse. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Therefore, the person who says, y'all better be careful because God doesn't mess around with sin. You hear me? Like that person does not understand but if we read the story of Ananias and Sapphira and we look down on them with contempt, self-righteousness, then, then we do not understand the magnitude and the depth of sin in our own hearts. We're just not honest people. We're probably not super congruent. The I would never are the proud words of the fool who does not take seriously the power of Satan, the power of the flesh, or the power of the, war, of the world. I would never are the words of the fool, not of the humble, wise man. We are not better than Ananias and Sapphira. None of us. We're just like them, and it is only by the grace of God that we stand and don't fall, period. So take heed if your heart went to bright, bad sinners should get theirs, for you are numbered in there too. But the, the first group, the this is not fair, that this is harsh, um, and it I mean, let's just be, it's, it's impossible to read this and not go, man, youch, that seems a little, little hard, a little, I mean, is, is this entirely necessary? And of course, in our, in our cultural context, it's a, it's a natural objection that this, this isn't fair. It's troubling to, to our modern sensitivities, the, the expression of, of judgment and the wrath of a holy God, it just seems... Um, maybe regressive, maybe too chilling, or maybe backwards, maybe something that belonged like back in the Old Testament, you know, far, far away enough and a long time ago, enough with a different kind of God who, you know, yes, when, when Uzzah like touches the Ark of the Covenant when it's falling and, and he dies, like, okay, still a little bit rough in our opinion, but it was Old Testament, it's way back there, but like, we're like New Testament progressives. Like, that's not, that's not how God is, not anymore, like, we finally got a clearer picture in Jesus. And, but, but no, here we are after Jesus with those that are proclaiming his gospel of grace. And at their feet, judgment is taking place. And so I would just, we don't like the idea of a judging God or, or a wrathful God. We like the idea of a loving and accepting God. And what's awesome is that he is a loving and accepting God. I have great news for you. He is a loving and accepting God. But this is true as well as that he is a God who will and does judge, whose wrath is real. And, and I would submit to you as, you as you think about this, if you're wrestling with that of like, I don't know that I like that God, is 
is that it, for there to be truly be love, it is, it is impossible to separate that out from, from wrath. If, if you say that you truly love your, your children or, or your close friend, and, and someone or something starts abusing them, treating them really poorly, taking advantage of them, you're going to experience wrath. You're going to, you're going to cry for justice, right? How, how about this? If you don't, then I would question if you love them. Would you not? I would say, you well, if you're like, well, listen, you know, a beating's good for everybody. You're like, you'd be like, what's, what's wrong with you? you don't, clearly, you don't love your children or your friend. This is, you're being taken advantage of. No justice. You see, you see, wrath goes with the object that is loved because it's precious. Be- Becky Pippert does a great job of, of expressing. She's an author and a writer. And, and she says, think how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise action and relationships. Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. I don't care. It doesn't matter. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion. But, the, but his settled, man, this is so good. But his settled opposition to the cancer, which is eating out the insides of the human race he loves with his whole being. To know this God of wrath is to understand that it tears him up like we can't imagine to see the human race being torn apart, disintegrating internally and externally. It tears him apart. And so there is right wrath and, and, and judgment upon that which is tearing apart the thing he loves. And he loves this church. He loves this church. He loves the church in Acts. He's, he's loving this church and he's seeing some things and he's saying, I must move. I'm going to, my love is going to act. It's going gonna, it's gonna to move towards bringing about love into this context. He's going to protect and purify this, this budding community of faith. And he stri- steps in dramatically to remove that cancer that if potentially permitted, could become destructive inside the very trust and the very beauty and the very vitality of of this young, growing, alive community. Too often we just want God to be like, like who we are. And he's not a genie in a bottle. We want God to, to, to challenge our enemies, just not challenge us. We want a God that we can manage, not a God that is to be feared. Why does God strike these two down? I don't know. You've lied. I've lied. I've been incongruent. I've, I've been hypocritical. Here I am. Here you are. Why these two? Honestly, I don't know. And you talk to commentators, and they don't really know either, like God chose. What we do know is that it appears at the beginning of, the beginning of new movements of God in redemptive history that God seems to bring about judgment in a particularly powerful, keen, and expressive way. You see this when um, he initiates with the new tabernacle. He initiates this new way of worship with his people in the desert. 
And, and he says, here are all the ways you're going to relate to me. Here's how you're going to handle your dress and how you're going to purify yourself because I'm a holy God. And, and if you're going to relate to me, here are the ways you're going to relate to me. And, and Nadab and Abihu, which are two of Aaron's sons, they, 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 they find themselves coming forward with some un, it says unholy fire, un, un, unsafe fire. What's it called? Shoot. Hold on. With some unauthorized fire. That's what it was. Unauthorized fire. And there's many things that are written about that. But fire comes out and consumes them. And great fear came upon all the people. This is a holy God. And there's this, there's this new way in which he's saying you relate to me. He says, don't trifle with this. This is, this is serious and significant. This really matters. You see it again as they go into the, into the promised land, a whole new season after a whole generation has died and the children of Israel walking into the promised land. And the first place they go to is Jericho. And God says, I'm going to do all the work. Everyone's going to go down. And it's going to be all my work. And so what I want you to do is I want you to take all the plunder and I want you to bring it to me because I'm the one who will have done all the work. From now on, when we take a new city, all the plunder can belong to you. But but today, no. And, and Achan, as if you know the story in, in Joshua chapter 7, Achan goes in and he steals just a little bit, just a little bit for himself. And, and God judges. Achan is killed. And it says in 1 Corinthians 10 why this is so. It says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the age has come. Therefore, and there it is, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. That God has written those things down, Paul says, as an example so that we understand how things work and, and to be an instruction to us. And so what's the result? Is, is we have this, this wave of godly fear that sweeps over the church and on all who heard the story and we've moved from being a community where, where there's great power and where there's great grace and with it has come great fear, which is, which is how the community of believers should relate and, and, and worship and, and serve God and, and each other. We have a God who sees our hearts, who always sees our hearts. We have a God who always whose judgment is always just, and we have a God whose grace always gives us a way home. There is a level in you of incongruity right now. There are things that don't match up, and God knows them. There are things you appear to be or, or pretend to be or claim to be that, that just aren't true right now. How is God calling you home? What has he given you as means and avenues to draw you towards being one thing, being whole? Well, in his mercy, he's given several means of grace. Uh, the first is he's given us his, his penetrating word. Now, by the grace of God, hopefully that's been happening live right now with, as I've read some of these passages that they've been penetrating because Hebrews 4 says very clearly, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word of God, it, it, it goes all the way in. It's, I mean, it's a, 
It's a surgeon's tool, and it slides all the way down to where reality really is. That's the division of bone and marrow, soul and spirit. And look what it says next. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If like, if like your hairs bristle a little bit when you hear that, like that's, that's probably fitting. Short of the good news of the gospel, that should terrify us. But he sees us as we really are. And what he's done is he's given us his, his word. One of the reasons why God keeps calling us to, to read and study and to, to meditate on his word is that it does a certain kind of work in us. It, it peels us back. It opens us up to the reality of what God invites us into and to what's actually true. It shows us the gaps. It's powerful. It's alive. Are you letting God's means of grace do that in you? And by the way, you can read your Bible and not let God do that, just so you know. But without the word, it's going to be hard for that to happen. So are you allowing God's word to do that work in you? He's given this to you as a means of grace, reorienting us and helping us to see ourselves rightly. What is hidden and to see ourselves as he sees us. The second thing he's given us is um, he's given us a community of truth-telling. One of the things we're gonna, we see um, with, with this very uh, Peter, who's now talking to Annas and Sapphira, is that Paul is going to confront him. In Galatians chapter 2, he confronts him to his face. And you know what he confronts him about? Incongruity. That, that when, when, when he was hanging out with just the Gentiles, he would hang out with them. But then some Jews came from, from Jerusalem and he started pulling himself away. What happened? Well, he wasn't living in line of the gospel. He was, he was breaking away from the, re- I thought you were about this and now you're, he's not living in light. He's, he's incongruent. He's, he's being pulled apart. He's not whole. And Paul speaks right to him. He says, I opposed him to his face, he says. What a loving man Paul was. He was. He stepped right into it and he said, oh, my brother, I love you and I'm not going to let you be broken apart. You can't be two different people. There's just one Peter. Christ has made you one. Like it has to match. It has to belong. And so here I come. I'm going to be a community of truth telling to you. He's given us a community that we would be speaking the truth to one another and he's given us a community that we would be able to expose as we, as we discover through his word what is not matching and ask for help. I I promise you, and I've got some guys in my life that they help me see the stuff that left myself at my best, even with Becky's help, doesn't actually bring it home until they look at me and say, this doesn't seem to match. I must tell them the truth. So what are you pretending to be true that is not? God's given us his word, his penetrating word, a community of truth-telling. And last, he's given us a penitent communion. Paul in, in um, 1 Corinthians 11, which is a famous passage about communion, he starts talking about, this is what the Lord gave to me that on the night in which he was betrayed, he, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And he said, he took the cup after the meal and he said, this is the cup of new covenant in my blood. And I want you to do this every, every time you're together in remembrance of me. And then... Verse 27, which we don't read nearly as often. 
Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Listen, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, truly, we would not be judged. There's an entire sermon to be preached about this passage, but what I want to draw from this is there's a seriousness about the things of God. There are things that he holds sacred and serious and deep, and to handle them trifly or flippantly is inconsistent with the reality of the holy God that he calls himself and calls us to see him as. And so one of the things that communion does for us is that it gives us a moment to examine ourselves, not to make ourselves worthy. You're not worthy of communion. Any Sunday, you're not worthy once. But it's to examine ourselves and say, am I coming with duplicity? Am I coming with deception? You see, Ananias and Fire came forward and they laid it down with deception in their hearts. They're pretending. They're pretending with the community, but they're pretending with God. This passage says, don't pretend. This is not a place you come and pretend to be something you're not. That's why it says, if you judge yourself rightly, as in like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be able to receive your grace. But because of Christ, I'll, I will take it. I will receive it. If, if, if that's the disposition of your heart, then it's fitting. Of course you don't. So you've examined yourself rightly, and so you can come and you can receive and be at peace. And you don't have, There's no fear here. There should be no fear for any Christian unless we find ourselves going like, well, I still like to hang on to this and pretend like I'm still spiritual. I mean, there are times where in your life where you're going to find yourself not being in a good place, okay? Like you're, you're sinning and you can't seem to get out of patterns. And it's not the time where it's like, okay, I've examined myself and apparently I'm not seeing a lot of change. So I'm just going to withhold myself from communion. That's not its purpose. It's in my coming forward going like, God, if you don't change me, I am hopeless. That's the disposition of the heart. And that's why communion is so pivotal. I want to tell you a story. This is one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why it's so significant to me that we do communion every week. I shared from the pulpit before um, that, that during my, my, my six years in the Air Force, I had two affairs. And in 1999, I came and I, and I confessed these things to Becky. And when I came and I confessed those things, she asked me a whole bunch of questions. And, and I was so used to lying that when she asked me certain questions, I just lied. I was trying to still manage some of my own disposition, how I was going to be experienced, trying to manage some of my pain and some, some of how, what she would think of me and maybe, maybe hold it together a little bit. And so three weeks went by, three very difficult weeks. I found myself at church alone, and I, I don't know if we did it monthly or quarterly at that time, a little Bible church, and, but they read the same passage I just read to you about communion. The elements were passed, and I took them, and... There are only a few times in my life that I feel like I, I know that the Lord spoke to me, and not an audible voice, but I, it was clear as day. 
I wrote it down because I actually, Holy Spirit said, Matt, you've deliberately lied. And in it, you are still trying to manage and protect yourself. Either you truly entrust yourself to me, fully surrender yourself to me, or I will release you to you. You either belong to me or you belong to yourself. You can't have it both ways. And I held that cup and that, that old cracker and I just wept. Because everything in me said, I, I cannot do this. I, I cannot do this. This will, this will tear open something that I don't think we'll ever be able to put back inside. So I was like, Lord, I, I cannot do this. But his invitation to me was, do you want to rescue and save yourself or do you, for the first time in your probably life, are you actually going to trust that I am going to be enough for you? And that's what was on the table in front of me. And he had become so precious to me that the thought of being like, never mind, I think I'll try this on my own again. I'd done that and it was death. And so I said, I cannot do it. But if you'll do it, then I'll do it. Like, I can't figure, I'm afraid I can't do it. So the week goes by and, and I'm, I'm trying to, figure out a moment, it, nothing seems appropriate, I'm terrified, and it's the next Sunday morning, and I'm ironing clothes back when I wore things that needed to be ironed. Um, I'm ironing, and I am pleading, I am like Jacob wrestling with God. I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like I can go back to church not having done what you called me to do, and I don't think I can do it. Will you help me? Like, will you help me? And as though on cue, Becky walks in the door and says, what's going on? Like, something seems wrong. Do you have something to tell me? Like, I wasn't able to say a word. You know, I, I couldn't get the first word out. And, and the Holy Spirit went through, through Becky and, and he drew it out. Like he, and, um, and he rescued me from me trying to rescue myself. He brought congruity to my soul and and spirit cared and, and, and it was rough but he cared for Becky and he, he carried me and but I can honestly tell you that if it was not for that communion Sunday I don't think I'm standing right here today I really don't think so because because in it the call was are you going to match and if you want me you have to match and so that's my call to you today. If you want him, we must be matching. It's who he wants to deal with. He wants to deal with the real you. That's really good news for wherever you are this morning. Which is one of the reasons why this table, this meal that we come to every single week reminds us that like, God sees us like all the way to the bottom and that because of Christ, even though he sees us all the way to the bottom, yes, you, all the way to the bottom, right now, all the way, that in Christ, he receives you still. He invites you to a meal, like fellowship. He invites you in. That when I said that his just judgment is always true, it's because it was poured out. Like his just judgment was fundamentally and forever poured out on his son. And so you know what? It is well. There is judgment. 
And it belongs, to, it belonged on Christ and came to Christ, even though he didn't deserve it for you and for me. This is the great news of this table, of this meal. This is a, a moment to be able to come and ask God, I cannot. Will you? I cannot do it. I cannot become whole and I cannot be integrated and I cannot be incongruent, but, but will you do it in me? Because if you will, then I will. I, I, will, I will give myself. I will, I will risk, but, but God have mercy on me because I cannot. That's some of what we do when we take these elements. And so as you come forward today, I would invite you to take them back to your seat, to sit there and ask God, in what ways am I not matching? And God, will you have mercy on me and help me to become a whole person for his glory, for the joy of this church, for the community, for your family? I'll be alive. Let's pray. Father, Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And yet, by your grace, you allow us to understand your ways, to see them, and to embrace them, not only as grace, but as love. So, Lord, this morning, as we find ourselves, as best we can, trying to be honest with our own hearts, knowing that you you see all the way through, We ask you that you would have mercy on us. Say you're a God rich in mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We're counting on that today because of Christ. And so, Lord, make us new people. Help us to be whole. We pray this only because of Christ and for the glory of Christ the glory that he seeks to display in his church. May we be fully alive. We pray this in his name and to his glory. Amen. If you belong to Jesus, then this is your meal. such a good meal. So come, receive the body and the blood of Christ for you.